Good morning. Uh, this message won't be as cute as the last time I, I spoke to you. You remember I, I spoke holding the baby. Uh, we did discuss briefly before the service whether that might just become my thing. <laughs> we thought it might be distracting and at some point uh, odd to always be holding the baby, so that won't become my, become my thing, I guess. Uh, we do at the beginning of the year at, at Crossman's what we call kind of the state of the, the church address or kind of... Uh, it's the point in the year where we say, here's our, here's our direction, here's where we think God's leading us, this is what God's leading us to. Uh, last year I came to you and said, uh, you know, typically a lot of times I'll do what's, what's kind of a rah-rah pump-up sermon, and last year I said, this isn't going to be that, this isn't going to be that sermon. Uh, last year we came to you and said, we, we've identified some things spiritually and some things um, Socially, where we believe that in a lot of senses we just need to grow up, and uh, I'm I'm encouraged to say that I think we largely we largely met some of those marks, or or we we made journey towards some of those marks of maturity and discipleship, maturity and growing into Christ, and uh, that is never, by the way, a a, a finished um, a finished journey until we see Jesus face to face, but it is. Uh, something that that should be a part of what what we are and what we do this this year i want to give you uh kind of the vision for where we're heading and where where we're going uh typically a lot of times what we'll do is we'll give sort of history about where we've been and history about where we're where we're going um so if you if you don't know uh crosswinds was planted in in 2001 uh the goal was to be in in the center of Godwin Heights, it took us, uh, similar to, to God's people wandering in the wilderness, uh, it took us several years to actually get into Godwin, Godwin Heights. Uh, there was no place to meet uh, in the community the year we launched, so we met in a building that was on 48th Street, not in Godwin Heights. And then um, our group of churches asked us to move into a building that was on 60th, definitely not in Godwin Heights. And then uh, sometime... Uh, Sometime significantly after that, about five years in, we moved into North Godwin uh, Elementary School, which was our uh, which was our original calling. And there's a lot of reasons for why that happened. A lot of mistakes, a lot of different things, a lot of things that God God was doing in that. So there was some some movement all around there. There were some uh, some uh, church name changes, which is always a source of good humor for those who know. I personally don't speak some of those name changes. We we had a middle name change where the name was just so bad that I can't even that I can't even speak it. So we we changed it. And so uh, originally we launched as New Joy uh, Community Church, and some of you uh, have been with us since we were New Joy, and so you've been here uh, since 2001. We're in 2017. We're in our 16th 16th year, and some of you have been around that long. Uh, some of you. Uh, just after, in our early days, we connected with a young man named Andy Brown uh, and a couple other people who were connected to Grace Bible College uh, that attracted a group from Grace Bible College, young college kids. Uh, I'll tell you, at, at that time, the kind of things we were dealing with a, a, as a congregation were trying to teach hospitality, trying to teach how to be a good guest, trying to teach... Um, uh, I, I think most of the Grace kids would affirm this, that I had to teach you that if you get invited to someone's house for something where you're supposed to bring uh, food with you, that 17 of you should not show up with one bag of chips. Uh, look, I brought chips. Great. Right? So uh, we've, we've tried to teach those sorts of things. But over, over the time, one of the things that's, that's happened is most of you, a lot of you, I met as like college freshmen, and now I've... I performed a lot of your, uh, your weddings. I've been there when you had, had babies. We have walked through some things together, I guess. That's the, the point that I'm, that I'm making. Um, I have a verse here uh, from Isaiah 2.2. 2, 2. Uh, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. Um, this verse I put up because it is, uh, it is motivational for me, informative for how my mind works. The idea for us, the reason we were church planters, the reason we planted a church in Godwin Heights is because people in Godwin Heights are part of the nations 
scripturally speaking, and they needed to hear about Jesus. That verse is an interesting verse because essentially what it is, it's a prophecy that there's coming a time in history when people will flow towards Jesus. So many people will be coming to Jesus. It'll be like rivers flowing up the mountain instead of down the mountain. So powerful will the force of people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ be. And so... Um, I'm a Goblin Heights grad, 1993, lived in this neighborhood uh, for all but six years of my life. We lived on the northwest side of Grand Rapids for six years while I was an associate pastor at Westwood. Uh, and they sent us when I, was, when I was 25, if you can believe that. Um, if you're not 25 yet, you might not see the, see the thing. If, if you've not been 25 for a long time, you're like, 25? Man, who sends a 25-year-old to plant a church? Um, exactly. Uh, so they, <laughs> they sent me when I was 25 to plant, to plant crosswinds, which is still crazy. And so we moved, we moved physically back. We've lived in the same, same spot, two streets over, uh, here in Godwin Heights. We are, uh, absolutely with all of our being in love with Godwin Heights. Uh, but because I grew up here, I, I noticed this is that there were very few people in my, in my school who attended church. And if they did attend church, they had this in common. They left my neighborhood to do it. And though there's churches in the neighborhood, you can drive up uh, a couple streets. There's a, there's a street up, up just a few blocks where there's like several churches on one street. The interesting thing about that is, is that the people who attend those, those churches do not go to church in this, in this neighborhood. And so one of the things we realized about Godwin Heights is that Sunday mornings breathe in, breathe out. Right? So if a person's going to church here on a Sunday morning, they, they didn't come from here. And if a person is, is from here is going to church, they were, they were leaving here. And so the, the idea and the vision of it was not so much about church attendance. That's just, um, that's reflective. But the idea was not about church attendance. The idea was about this, is who is speaking into the lives and actively trying to reach people who live in Godwin Heights for the cause of, of Jesus Christ because uh, with the exception of myself and, um, and I think three other people, I can't place in my graduating class any other followers of, of Jesus. And beyond that, I can't place people who, for whom, as might be traditional a lot of other places, people for whom church attendance was the normal thing. Like that was a part of it. So even when I was growing up here, graduated in 1993, which is well over uh, 20 years ago now. Uh, even, even then, most of the people that lived in this, this community were working class and were disconnected from the church to multiple generations. It's a multiple generation. And so the, the, the idea, what God put on, on my heart was this, is who's going to try and communicate the gospel into that neighborhood and that community and to, into those people. And he actually put that into me very young. Uh, when, I was, when I was very, very, very small, uh, you've heard me tell this story before, uh, I would say to my mom, I'm going to start my own church in, in Godwin Heights. Uh, I was also going to be a fireman and a cowboy. Um, only one of those worked out. Uh, and so my mom would say to me, because at that time we grew up at a, at a group of churches that really didn't talk about church planting. It was an era that didn't talk about starting churches. say, you can't start your own church. You have to go to another church. But as it turns out, you can start your own own church and so we were um we were called to this into this idea and so the point i'm making is, is simply this is that long on my heart has been this 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 dream and this confident expectation and faith in god that that however that works out and however that looks that there will come a day when even in godwin heights which is the is is people of the nations when the people of godwin heights will flow into the kingdom or flow into the mountain of the lord like a river running uphill i have a confident expectation that that there comes a time in history um when 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 you look back and when you understand what has happened that, that the glory of God has been so significant that, that people are, are knowing him like a mountain uh, flowing up uphill. And so I'll come back to that in a minute. We'll go to this next verse. Here's another thing that motivates us, um, motivates us greatly. It's what's called the Great Commission. Jesus gives it to his 
to his disciples as, as, he's, um, as he's about to leave them, ascend into heaven. He says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, it's just what, what I said to you before. We have had this long-term call. Let's reach people who don't know Jesus for Jesus so that he might receive the honor and, 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 for, and the glory. Um, the, the last verse of Revelation 5, or, or 2 Peter 3, 9. So, so here's, here's a point I want to make to you before I start to talk about some other, other things. 2 Peter 3, 9 is this, this verse. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but is long-suffering towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? That, that verse says this, as we just finished talking, speaking through uh, Revelation, right? And Revelation talks about this reality that there's coming a day when Jesus himself will literally return to this planet and he'll establish a new heaven and a new earth and all things will be made new. And we've, we've talked about that, but if you ask why is it not happening, the reason why is that the Lord himself is showing patience so that people from all the nations, people from all the neighborhoods, and we're going to substitute the word neighborhood for nations from now on, so that people from all the neighborhoods might come to know him, that they might come to love him, that they might come to glorify him, that they might come to be worshipers of him. The Lord's not slow in coming back. In, in 1 Peter, uh, or, uh, the, the people were under... Um, under burgeoning persecution, and they were longing for the day when Jesus would crack the sky, when he would, when he would establish his kingdom, when he would save them from all that. But Peter says, the Lord's not slow. The Lord doesn't see what's going on in your life. The Lord's not, not deaf to, to, your, to your cries. The Lord's not ignorant of your struggles, but he's patient. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but it, or he's not uh, 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 wishing that any should perish, but his desire is that all should come to repentance. And so here's, here's the other thing. So we've been at it uh, 16 years now because we're in 2017, 2001 uh, to 2017, 16 years. There are days when you go, well, what have we to show for this grand experiment, right? We are not, as 25-year-old Dave once believed, a, we would be a mega church, right? So just as a parenthesis, in my head, let me explain to you how this happens. We open for, uh, for church. We have a launch service. Uh, I come from the days of sending two mailings and watching uh, grand things happen. So we sent out mailings about our church, and we launched on September 16, 2001, and we waited, and hundreds and hundreds of people did not show up. Um, Maybe 120 showed up, but like 45 of them came from another church to help out, and then other people, other people. So, um, so the, the, the Dave Drake expectation train was derailed early, but I still said, that's okay, we're going to blow up. And one day, if people could just hear our worship band, if people could just see what we do, one day they'll understand and will be, will be a megachurch. That was the expectation, right? There is an expectation when they allow a person who's only 25 and went through assessment at 24 to plant a church. Sometimes a 24-year-old, 25-year-old has expectations um, that are at the very least not accurate and, and I would say not appropriate. But my expectation in my view of myself at that point was when they hear me preach, people will fly in from around the world to convert to Jesus Christ because the... the um, uh, the, the velvety tone of this voice uh, mixed, mixed with the exposition of the word and the power of my preaching. People were going to come from all over just to accept Jesus and it was going to grow up and then people would know me and then I could write books and go on book tours and, and other, other things. Here's, here's the thing. I, I'm joking sort of about most of that but the reality is I think in my head when I'm 24 the expectation is that we would become a megachurch and I will stand before you and say to you right now that God has saved us blessedly from that trap. You cannot expect to faithfully reach Godwin Heights or any other neighborhood in the urban sense and, and be a megachurch at the, at the same time. It's simple math and simple population. We'll, we'll jump one neighborhood just for a minute because I know the numbers better. Godfrey Lee has 1,200 households. 1,200 households, about 4,500 people, somewhere around there, 
Um, if you're talking a megachurch, we put the term megachurch at 800 people, right? 800 people, an uh, 800 person church in, in God Freely would certainly be a move of God unlike anything we've seen in a, in a neighborhood. And I am not one to say to you that God cannot do that. I am saying that the expectation that you work for that is, is dangerous, right? And the same thing in Godwin, Godwin Heights, which is a larger uh, neighborhood. I think there's 14,000 uh, so my uh, people total in kind of our our little uh, our little area that that we drew. Um, if you become a megachurch in in these communities, and this is by the way not a critique uh, of megachurches. This is a this is an explication of 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 a technique for reaching urban people in an urban community. The problem with that is, is that to get to the level that it takes to be a megachurch, you have to have the ability to, to attract um, large numbers of people from, from communities all around, um, all around you. In other words, you have to, you have to, uh, you have to maximize your commuter, your, your, your commuter numbers, right? People need to, to need to commute in. There's, I have, by the way, no problem with commuting. In fact, I think God uses commuting and other things, commuting both in and out as diaspora and uses it for the expansion of the gospel. That's, that's not my point. But here's what happens. Here's what I suspect would have happened is if in the first two years, Crosswinds became a mega church. At that point, there would have had to have been so large of a commuting group. There would have been such a negligible amount of, of people from the community that ministry directly to and for the community would have been largely forgotten. And we never would have, by the way, learned how to learn minister directly to the community. And ministering directly to the community, by the way, is not something that we have figured out or have completely figured out. We do not. Because, interestingly enough, in the, in the era in which we planted happens to be one of the eras of biggest upset in, in the modern church in a, in a lot of years. The church is changing rapidly because America is changing rapidly. We've gone from being what was largely uh, a, a nation where Christianity itself was in the center set, where Christianity had full, full cultural influence. It was what's called Christendom, which is Christianity plus power. We had political power and political influence. Things like the religious right had power. We've gone from that to almost the complete opposite, where, where the, the nation is rapidly de-churching and Christian influence in, in, in a lot of senses is, is, is at an all-time low. It is, is falling out of, out of society. If you're planting a church in that kind of generation, uh, which is happening uh, everywhere now, there's this other reality is that it's been happening for even longer in urban communities. So if I go and speak, if I were go to speak, for instance, to one of our uh, actually to our mother church, if I would go over to Westwood, which is in a suburban area, I always greet them. Greetings from the future. I always say that because what happens in urban communities happens 10 years before it happens in, in suburban communities. And so all the kinds of things that, that, that we are learning and continue to learn over 15 years honestly take the 15 years to learn and honestly if God gave me the selfish desire of my heart which was to be the pastor of a very large church with a whole lot of uh, influence in, in sort of the, the church world if he had given me that if that had that had happened I probably never would have learned all kinds of things that I need to learn to um, to be effective here so I'll give you an example if if you immigrate to this this country, uh, or I'll, I'll, I'll do it another way. So my, my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law has taught in two different places in the world. He taught in Korea, and he taught in Mongolia. My brother-in-law does not know Korean or Mongolian. He doesn't know basically any of that language. He didn't have to learn that language, and he didn't have to make an attempt to learn the language. Why? There was a large English-speaking community every place that he went. He went from where he was uh, here in the United States to essentially an expat community where language learning was not necessary because he was surrounded by people who already knew his language. Essentially what I'm suggesting to you is that, that, that God had given me the selfish desires of my heart. It would have essentially surrounded me with an expat, expat Christian community. I would never have to learn to speak in Godwin Heights. And I am from here 
But even this neighborhood is rapidly changing over time. And so this has always been a diverse neighborhood, but the, the amount of immigration into this community is huge. And so uh, what does it mean to minister in a community that is, that is multiple generations unchurched or Buddhist or, or Muslim? What does it mean to minister in, in a community where they do not have the same kind of background, the same kind of home, all of those things that, that I came from? What does it mean to minister here? What I'm suggesting to you is that if we had become what I thought in my head we would become, we never would have learned the things we needed to know to effectively minister here. Now, so the question becomes then, then, but you want to grow right. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, 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 my heart wants to grow as a, as a congregation because I'm a firm believer in the first verse we, we shared that there's coming a day when people are going to flow to the mountain of Zion. I'm a firm believer that God and God alone deserves glory. And the reason we proclaim Christ and Christ crucified is not just that it saves people, but rather that Jesus is worthy of the worship that he receives when people come to know him. I want people to come to know Jesus. We are committed to nothing. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are committed to that with our, with our fullest commitment, with all of our heart. We want people to come to know Jesus. What I'm, what I'm trying to explain to you though is that God worked in this place at on a slower calendar or a different calendar than I was working on right but here's the point I want to make for you is that as I look back over 16 years of doing what we've done I realized that the things that God has done in us and the things that God has done through us are absolutely amazing and one thing I don't ever want to do is get trapped in this moment in this place and, and view and judge what God has called us to by this moment in, in this place. We should always be evaluating. We should always be growing. But what you see sitting to the right or left of you this morning does not tell the full story of who we are and what God has called us to. We are an urban congregation. Urban means we have transients. People move in and out. We are a congregation that reaches out to people with all kinds of struggle. Struggle means that all kinds of things happen. They move places. Sometimes they end up in, uh, in situations where they might go into, into lockup. There, there are situations where, where, frankly, because they're messed up and they're just growing in Jesus, they mess up their own life, they implode it, and then it takes years for them to fix it. And yet, as I look back over 16 years, if you look at it from the long view, all I can see is the amazing hand of God working greatly in what he has chosen to do here. Because this is his work, not ours. I see that God has been patiently working in Crosswinds from the beginning of Crosswinds so that the people of Godwin Heights might come to know Jesus. And I remain committed to that this morning. I will remain committed to that probably until the day that I die. I'll tell you, just as a parenthesis, there was a point probably nine years ago now. Like I said, we've been, uh, we've been at it 16. There was a point nine years ago where the church was on solid enough ground. And uh, because we were regularly bringing in and training up leaders... And I was becoming close with leaders, and they were constantly moving back home or moving into other ministries because we couldn't pay them. It was just taxing me, and I, was, I didn't know if I could stand losing another friend. And I'm like, maybe I need a change in ministry. And so Libby and I began to, to seriously look at other places we might minister. One of those is we had just been in, in New York City, and then we, we heard of an organization called Orchard, which was a, which was a church planting organization, is a church planting organization in New York City. And we started to look and then go, maybe God wants us to serve with Orchard. We could give this church congregation to someone else. Someone else can lead this, right? Uh, a congregation is, should not be dependent on one person. Someone else can lead it and lead God in, lead them, lead people to Christ, lead the new vision. Maybe that's what God wants from us at that same time as we were looking at that. Uh, and I was personally struggling with the continual loss of friendship. God brought into my life five men who would be friends to me, who would walk with me, who would walk me through that, that time. And he did something miraculous. He saved my emotional my emotional state, but he also did another thing. And so I travel a good bit. I, you know, I've been uh, a lot of places and every time I go place, I'm like, maybe Jesus wants me to minister here. One of those places is the Philippines. And I'm telling you that on a morning like this, when it's who knows what out and there's all that white stuff, I try and convince myself and the Lord 
that he's calling me to the Philippines. I'm like, Jesus, are we sure? Right? And there was a time also, I believe, Philippines by the 50, by 50. That's what Libby and I used to say. We could retire. We could go minister in, 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 the, in the Philippines. We could go do that, go place myself under the authority of my good friend, Bishop Nona, do what he says, spend the rest of my life essentially ministering in, in paradise, and people wouldn't have to hear from me ever again. It would be beautiful, which sounds really good, but I wasn't 40 yet when I said Philippines by 50, and now I'm 42, and it's just too close. And, and the other thing is this, is that God said to me, you want to minister, minister in, the, in the Philippines? Send people. You want to minister in New York City? You send people. But you are called to Godwin Heights, and I am relatively sure that I will die here. Right? Not like here, hopefully. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, God's called me to hear. And at the same time, I tell you all of that story to say, but not just to hear. And this is where we get into it. That, that's background so that I can say this. Here's, here's what, I, what I feel called to, is that there's all kinds of neighborhoods surrounding Godwin Heights that are very similar to Godwin Heights. They're under re, underemployed. They're under-resourced. They show the highest number of children in poverty. Um, they have all these sort of markers for things that, that people would say, that's, a, that's an urban, or I guess the, the word people use is inner city. I don't like that word because it sounds pejorative, but people say all the markers of those neighborhoods. I was reading a newspaper one day, and I was reading a list of them, and it was like Kentwood, Kelloggsville, Goblin Heights, Godfrey Lee, Wyoming Public. I looked at that list and go, these surround us. And here's one of the things I know. Here, let me give you... Two things. The absolute hardest place to plant a church statistically in, in the United States has been rural areas, right? It's very difficult to plant a church. And the second hardest place is, is old residential neighborhoods of cities. What, all of the places I just listed, Goblin Heights, Godfrey Lee, Kentwood, Kelly, all of those, they're old residential neighborhoods of cities. They're difficult to plant churches in. So you know what happens? Nobody plants churches there. There's two kinds of places people want to plant churches. One is there is a kind of adventurer who wants to plant a church in like South Central LA or in Watts or in Mott Haven in, in, um, in the Bronx, right? And I relate to that because a lot of me is that. Like in my head, you go back to 2001, I plant crosswinds, do that for five years, I'm off and it was downward mobility. I'm living in LA in some hardcore neighborhood right now. That's, that's the adventurer in me, in, in me talking. And so there's people like to do that. And then another place they like to plant churches is in growing upper middle class neighborhoods. So when I, when I plant churches, the common, the common wisdom, and the wisdom still sort of holds true, the common wisdom was this. If you're going to plant a church, you find a growing monoethnic neighborhood and plant a church, and your church will naturally grow. And so all throughout the the late 80s, the 90, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, and still in a lot of places, especially up here in the Bible Belt, that's how we planted churches. So you look at a place where they're putting up one of those, those cookie-cutter housing developments, right, with those housing developments with, like, the big houses and the tiny yards, right? If you go to one of those places where people are building those, that, that neighborhood is naturally growing and because of the influx of people and because of how America has culturally functioned, they're going to be more likely to be open to the gospel and it's a good place to, to plant a church if, if um, and I'm not making, it's not commentary on, on effectiveness, I'm just saying it, that'll grow. Like you can take that church, if you launch with enough people, if you launch with 70 on, on um on launch morning, you can probably get it to 200 within a year if you choose the right neighborhood. That was common wisdom. Now, the wisdom, by and large, is, is falling apart. It's not working almost any place like it used to. But that was the wisdom when we planted crosswinds. And so we were sort of bicultural in that we walked into Godwin Heights with an urban idea, but all kinds of suburban church planting technique, right? And, and so it took time, and then you realize that that's just not the way it works in a place like this. And so people want to plant two places. The hardest core neighborhood, because there's an adventure. There's an adventure. And by the way, no one from the outside is ever going to judge you from not having a huge church in South Central LA. No one's ever going to say to you, if you're in Mott Haven, 
uh, uh, Mott Haven is in the Bronx, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in America for children, highest uh, mortality rate for children in America. If you were to go to Mott Haven and plant a church, no one is ever going to ask you about the size of your church and judge your effectiveness upon it. Do you want to plant there, or people want to plant in growing suburban neighborhoods, right? And that's just a cultural truth. So that point to make this point. In the in-between, there's all these neighborhoods, these old residential neighborhoods of cities where people are living, where, the, where population is, where you have density. Goblin Heights and Godfreyly both have density. They live close together. There's lots of people you have lots of people together, but you have no church actively trying to proclaim the gospel. And if you do have churches there proclaiming the gospel, they are probably breathe in, breathe out churches. So people are driving from another place, from the farther suburbs, right? This is Wyoming. If you understand this, Grand Rapids is literally at division uh, up the street. We are the first neighborhood outside the city. If you were sitting in Godfrey Lee, you can throw a rock from various places, right? We are what used to be the suburb, but we are actually now, especially the gentrification in center city, we are the new inner city. So much so that if you were here on the right night, you could stand out, look to your left, and watch someone try and pick up a prostitute on the corner right next door to us. That happened to us one evening when we were here. We had to yell and chase the man away, but that happened so much so that they, that they found out behind our, our uh, building all kinds of implements for, um, for heroin use. So common that all over uh, this neighborhood, there's all kinds of issues with drug use. There's an apartment complex directly at the end of the streets across the street that is so bad that the police do not like to go into it at night. My point is this, is that just outside the city lay old residential neighborhoods, and no one has any particular interest in bringing the gospel to old residential neighborhoods because, one, it is the second hardest place to do it, and, two, it's not the most exciting place to do it, and, three, it is harder to get to support to do it, and, four, it is harder to convince people who have one vision of how a church should be planted that you are successful when you do do it. That is why if you've been around crosswinds long enough, you know we have long since checked out of the success game. We have long since checked out of allowing other people to determine whether we're being effective at what we do. We have long since allowed other people to give us a book about how to plant a megachurch. If you have to read a book about how to plant a megachurch, you are not a megachurch planter, right? And I am not him, but I have long since said to you this, that there is no one who has written the book on the kind of ministry that crosswinds does. You are that book. You are writing the book as we speak. And so as we identified that, we looked at, at, at Kellogg'sville, Kentwood, Godfrey Lee, Godwin Heights. We said, how are we going to minister to these neighborhoods? So we have chosen. Uh, I once said to a guy uh, from our former group of, of churches, I once said to him, I said, we're thinking about making like our church motto for the year, crosswinds, planting, other, planting churches where other people won't. Um, and I was told that was too mean-spirited and that we couldn't use it. But still, that's our calling. I want to go and put churches where other people aren't putting churches because I have this belief that people in the neighborhoods deserve Jesus, that the people in the neighborhoods need to hear about Jesus. I, I'm convinced of that with all of my heart. So, so that's a mad. So God says, you're going to be in Godwin Heights. But he also brings this, this to me. He's like, but these other neighborhoods need reach too. And so that's kind of spinning in my head. I'm on a flight to the Philippines. I, on the flight to the Philippines, I'm reading a book by, by a guy named, uh, named Mike Breen. And Mike Breen is talking about missional communities, and he's talking about the church at Corinth. Now, let me just tell you that one of the problems with planting the kinds of churches we talk about planting is it is financially difficult to plant this kind of church. It's also difficult to find outside support consistently for, for this kind of church. And so in my head was, how do we plant these kinds of churches in places like where I just gave you that list? How do we do that in a way that does not make us completely dependent on outside churches all of the time? How do we do that in a way that allows us to grow and allows the congregations to have enough resources? Because one of the things that happens in under-resourced neighborhoods is they have poverty, but poverty is not just a financial thing. Poverty is also educational deficit. Poverty is also skill deficit. Poverty is all kinds of resources, and a lot of those resources that you would find in a suburban church, in other words, if you went to a suburban church, we were talking about this with our other urban church planting buddies, in the suburban church, it's easy to find people who want to do like your books, 
like do your number stuff, who look at money, add stuff, like all kinds of tasks. We don't have anybody who's interested in doing that, including your pastors, to be perfectly honest with you. That is not any, but you can find those sorts of things. You don't find those typically in urban congregations. There's a different kind of congregation. You have, you have certain deficits or certain, certain things. And so how do you resource? How do you grow an urban church? So I'm on a flight to the Philippines, and I'm, I'm reading uh, Mike Breen. He's talking about missional communities. Uh, he's talking about the groups that meet. There's this, this group and this group, this group meets this group. And then he says something. Uh, I don't know if he says in that book or I was just reading in Scripture, but I happened upon this passage in, in, in Corinthians where it says, and on that day the whole church met together. And I started to think, about, so what does that mean, the whole church? What does that mean that the whole church met together? What, 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 is that, what does that mean? And so I started to look and think about Corinth, and here's, here's what I believe to be true about Corinth. Corinth was, was a church that was made up of multiple congregations that met around, around the city. Uh, we don't really know the size, but there were times when those multiple congregations meeting around the city came together as one congregation, and they all met together. They would meet in the home of one of the, one of the congregants who happened to be wealthier, had a larger house, had a larger meeting area in the house. They would all get together there. And so I was thinking about that, like the whole church, that's interesting. How does that apply in a city? So then I get to the Philippines where uh, I've been several times before, but uh, um, I, I just, I typically go to learn. I get to the Philippines and I realize that we have of whom we call Bishop No Known. Uh, he's called Bishop because the nation's 94% Catholic. So in a 94% Catholic, even the Baptist pastors get called Bishop. Uh, and uh, Bishop No Known is one of the most gifted ministers of the gospel and one of the most gifted ministry strategists I've ever met. And I was watching how he did ministry, and I realized this, is that he was the leader of Hope Churches in the Philippines. And now, how did Hope Church function? Well, Hope, Hope Churches in the Philippines functioned like this. There were 15 different congregations with 15 different uh, pastors leading each congregation. And yet, they regularly got together to do baptism. They regularly got together to, to submit to the bishop leadership, to submit to his vision. They regularly pooled resources. They were essentially, what I was reading about in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the whole church. They were 15 different, in different places all over uh, Luzon, uh, which is the, 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 uh, the largest island there in the Philippines where Manila is. All over, uh, all over Luzon, they were meeting in different places. They were doing different uh, uh, ministry in different neighborhoods. And yet, they would say they were Hope Church. So, I see this in the Philippines. I have Mike Breen in the back of my head. The whole church meets together. So, what, what would it look like? What does that look like here? Okay? So, I'm going to step out of... Out of kind of preacher mode, and just I'm just going to tell you what that, that looks like here, almost in teacher mode. Here's, here's what I think. To reach Godwin Heights, Kelloggsville, Godfrey Lee, Kentwood, um, Wyoming, these neighborhoods, it's going to take congregations that, that are in these neighborhoods. One of my convictions after having been here long enough is that people are not driving from Godwin Heights to Godfrey Lee to go to church. Not consistently, they're just not. People who don't know, know Jesus aren't going to be, you know what I really want to do? Get up on a Sunday morning, no matter how late we make it, right? Get up on a Sunday morning, drive, right? We would do that. I drove to Granville uh, every, every Sunday morning of my life for church. We do that. But in a third generation unchurched community, not happening, right? And so we start to look at that and say, so what do we need? Well, we need congregations that are close enough in neighborhoods where people can walk in. We need walkable congregations. So we developed the phrase, you might have heard us say, that, say this, but we say it regularly when we're presenting what we do. If they can't walk, it's too far. Walkable congregations. Uh, for the people we're trying, trying to reach, it's got to be right here. So we start to talk about walkable congregations. So what's a walkable congregation look like and how do you get to that? And then we start to look at our, look at our church community. We realized that we had a lot of people already living in a neighborhood called Godfrey Lee. Right? And this is why I said to you, 
commuters are never a problem in congregation. Commuters can often be the first line of the next missionary expansion, right? So commuting's not, not a problem. But we had all these people from Godfrey Lee, and we said, so if we have people from Godfrey Lee who are already, already here and committed to Jesus, we want to plant a church in Godfrey Lee. What's the best way to do this? So the best way to do that, we said, is we take the group of people who live in Godfrey Lee, we send them to Godfrey Lee, and we establish, establish a congregation there. Now, traditional church planting, the way this, this would work, is that we would send them off, we'd give them a handshake and say good luck, and we'd get a report from them every once in a while. The problem with that is, in urban communities, it doesn't give us enough resource. It doesn't give us enough support. It doesn't give us enough movement, and it doesn't give us enough mission. Also, it makes us, even though, uh, uh, even though uh, we sometimes have funding and sometimes have financial support, the reality is, is that these communities, a lot of times, are not going to get funding, not going to get financial support, and it costs a lot of money to do traditional church planting, to, take a, to hire a traditional church planter, bring in all of the, all of the things that go with it, send it, that takes a lot of money. And the reality is, as America becomes less and less and less and less Christian, the, the, the tide is going against us, and we're not even reaching people for Jesus at a percentage that keeps up with the population growth. Right? And so just by birth, more and more people are being born and we're not reaching them for Jesus. Which means if you want to, if you want to do what needs to be done in this, in this country, uh, if, you want, if you want to see Jesus' name exalted here, if you want uh, America to know him, it means we need lots of church planted, not a church planted. So here's, here's what we, we decided to do. We decided to take the... the, the um, the methodology that we read about in, 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 in 1 Corinthians that I saw in, in, in the Philippines, um, and I'm not universalizing this, like um, don't, get, uh, don't hear me say this is the way church has to be done. I'm just saying this is the way we've chosen to do church, and those are, those are two different things. Uh, so taking the method we saw there, we said what happens if looking at, um, at my gifting and who I am and what I, what I do well, and looking at who we are, what if we established a, a way of doing churches where we planted congregations in all of those neighborhoods? Where we, anytime we had enough people from one neighborhood where we could plant a congregation, we planted a congregation there. And what if, instead of those congregations being on their own little individual independent church, what if they were a part of us? What if we were one congregation? What if we were one church? And they had a neighborhood pastor and they had a neighborhood leader who oversaw them, who spiritually cared for them. But that leader was a part of the elder team that was responsible for caring for all of Crosswinds and all of the city, right? So what I'm saying is, is this, is that our vision and our idea is that Crosswinds Church exists as a church for all of the underrepresented neighborhoods of Grand Rapids. Any place where there's old residential neighborhoods, where there's children in poverty, any of those kind of markers, we want to go to those neighborhoods anytime we have enough people and enough capacity to plant in those, those neighborhoods, right? We want to do that, but we don't want to do that as, 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 um, as individual organizations. We want to do that as one organization. That makes sense? And so I am telling you all this because in this new year, we're going to send a large group of ourselves to Godfrey Lane. And that is going to be a struggle for all of us at a, at a few places, right? Um, I have a son who's actively campaigning against that, against that church. I keep, you know, praying Jesus or <laughs> I'm like, Noah, you know, people need to know Jesus. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not going to see my best friend, right? And so you have those things and you might feel some of that stress. What is that? What does that look like? I want to speak to some of that stress. Um, but encourage you with this. We will meet in two different locations. The only thing that will have changed essentially as to our leadership is this. We will meet in two different locations. You will not meet together on Sunday mornings, but we still have common huddles. We still have common missional communities. We still have a common elder board. We still have a common offering. I say all that to say, even though we are in different places, we are going to be one congregation. And it'll look, when we send lead because of strategy, it, it looks like you're, you're launching a whole nother congregation. That's strategy. But that's not. That's a part of our congregation. That's who we are. And so Dave will lead the congregation Godfrey Lee. He will be the pastor of, of the Lee congregation. He'll be the neighborhood pastor. But he will also continue to be your elder for the whole congregation it, it, uh, of crosswinds, right? And I don't want to limit it to Lee because Lee's a special, uh, a, a special case of how we're, how we're planting. Um, 
But not every plant we do may be as, as, as traditional as that. Dave and I spent some time out, or actually Rob Brummel and I spent some time out with Josh Grimaldi in New York City watching what he was doing amongst various people groups and realized that there's a, there's a, um, there's a great possibility to do what is essentially house congregations that reach large groups of people that multiply quickly. And some of the congregations we plant could end up looking like that. So you would have Crosswinds Godfrey Lee, Crosswinds Godwin Heights, you would have Crosswinds House Church amongst this ethnic group. Um, I've met with, with, with a good friend that we know and love, talked to him about reaching people to Sierra Leone for, for Jesus. That might happen in a house congregation, but that would still be a part of Crosswinds Church. We would be one. And the elder representation, the, the, the representation, all of that would work together. And I've, I've talked to another, another good friend. We have strong interest on the northwest side of Grand Rapids because he already has influence there. He already has ministry there. Uh, we have a long-term ministry relationship together. And he feels like God might be calling him into something new. There might be a chance that we would, would establish Crosswinds Northwest Grand Rapids. If we did that... It, all that would change is we'd have a congregation meeting on the northwest side of Grand Rapids, but we would be one church. And here's how we would, you, would, um, you might not feel that. You might not see that on every morning uh, of the year. There might be, be four or five Sunday mornings in a row where you didn't feel that. But on that sixth Sunday morning, we're going to get together and we're going to join together in one place as one congregation and worship together. And what we're hopefully going to do is because we're planting churches, is people are going to come to know Jesus. And when people come to know Jesus, when they're made disciples, it tells us to baptize them. And so we're going to get together and we're going to baptize together. One of the greatest things I've ever done in the, in the Philippines was this. All of the Hope churches gathered together, all 15. We did 200 baptisms that day in the South China Sea. Because people who were far from Jesus came to know Jesus and we baptized them. And they did it all as one. So we will gather together on, on times of Christmas, Easter, uh, uh, six times a year. Otherwise, we'll always baptize together. Baptism will be the information, the affirmation that we are one congregation. We are one people, right? So for Godfrey Lee, you, you get a change of location. You get, you get a change of, of, of usual Sunday morning uh, speaking. You get a change of all of those kinds of things. But you still, uh, you still uh, and I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but you still get me. I still remain your lead pastor because that's what God's called me to. What I've realized, I told you I did turn into my 40s recently, and I said to them, what, what am I going to do with my with my 40s, I feel like I'm getting old. And here's what I realized, that one of the things God's called me to is the developing and the training of young men for ministry. That's one thing that I, that I do well, and that's what he's called. And I will continue to do that. I will continue to lead the pastors of all of the congregations. That is, um, that is incumbent upon me. I tease, uh, I tease Dave, because uh, sometimes, like, when, before I was 38, I was super healthy. From 38 to 42 has been a little bit of a struggle in Dave world with a lot of minor stuff, but I was teasing him. I'm like, Dave, if you know something goes wrong, I have an MRI later this week. Uh, I'm definitely afraid of MRIs. I believe I'm going to die. That's the, that's the parentheses, okay? Um, and so I said to Dave, I said, hey, Dave, if I die in the MRI, you get to be in charge of all of it, right? But for now, God's called me to be in charge of all of it. So... Uh, just as a just a polity sense, I remain your lead pastor. I lead the other pastors. Right now, that means I lead uh, uh, I lead Dave. I leave I lead uh, Aaron. Um, I I lead the pastors. When we plant in another neighborhood, I'll lead those those pastors. Well, because God's called me to it. Um, I say that not in a um, in an arrogant way. There's no arrogance with that, that statement. I say that with the, with the reality that I believe because God's called me to this ministry that I'll be held responsible for each and every one of you, that you are my spiritual responsibility. And so, so Dave and I will still uh, work together. Uh, we will still be together. We will still think together. We do things. This is not uh, uh, in, in our kind of church setup. Uh, it's, we have an elder board. Uh, the elders hall have, have equal say. We work for uh, unanimity. We do things all, almost always from a unanimous view. Um, one of the things God's called me to, and let me, so I'm typically the first, uh, the first among equals. In other words, God's called me to lead that elder board. 
but I don't have the ability to, to do whatever I want without that elder board. And so that's just sort of our policy. And so I'm explaining that, that, that we're going to remain one congregation. And we're going to see each other regularly. You might not see each other on, on Sunday mornings, but we have so much overlap. You'll see each other in missional communities. And, and the reality is, is if you get too attached to having to see each other every Sunday morning anyways, it, it can cut into the mission, right? Because you become so in love with seeing this person, enjoying this person, enjoying it, it cuts into your ability to go. And going is difficult, and sending is difficult, and yet that's what we're, we're called to. So I tell you all of that to, to say this. Here's, here's the vision for, for the next year, right? Is that um, I think this is, I'm going to try and say our mission statement. Uh, like uh, this is one of the ways you know we're not a megachurch because at megachurches they always know their, their mission statements perfectly. Uh, and I'm so imperfect on that. But uh, the Crosswinds of Mission... Uh, the mission of Crosswinds is essentially believing God for our church planting movement we exist to plant indigenous reproducing local churches that's what we exist to do and so we're going to go to Godfrey Lee and it's been a long ride like some of the, I'm not even getting to how we get here but it's been a long ride we shouldn't be at 16 years and only planting our second congregation it's too slow it's too slow. If people are being born and they don't know Jesus and we're not sharing Jesus with them fast enough and we're not keeping up with population, we need a movement. We need an explosive growth uh, 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 of the church. It's got to happen explosively. And people say, well, church planting movements don't happen in America. Can't happen in America. The last time one happened was in the 1700s. That may well be true, but here's what I know. is that I am interested in a church planting movement that God brings about. And if church planting movements were a common thing that anybody could bring about, there'd be lots of them. But there's something that God brings about. And I want to be a part of the movement of God. And I do believe it's going to happen for America. I do believe that there's going to come a time when the neighborhoods will flow uphill into Zion uh, like a river flowing up. I believe all of those things. But I believe first for our community, for our local community, all over Grand Rapids, West Michigan, any place where there's a group of people who need to hear about a Savior named Jesus, we want to be there sharing him. And any place where we're, where we're not going to be effective, gathering them by driving a long way, if they won't come to the church, we are going to continue to bring the church to them. And so it does not stop in Godfrey Lee. We're going to Godfrey Lee this year, guys, and we should be as excited as we can be. Yes, there's struggle. Yes, there's a little bit of uh, stress, you know, because it's disconnection. Yes, it's like, well, what's that going to do? You cut in half. There's not as much energy. I get all of those things. But here's the thing. We were not designed to be a people who lived for the energy that Sunday morning created. We were designed to be a people who communicated the good news of Jesus so that people might know him, so that the glory of God expanded all over communities, so that his glory might be sung throughout all the earth. And we must become more excited about the glory of God proclaimed all over the communities, all over the neighborhoods, than we are about our comfort, about our, 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 our interactions, that our friend time on, on Sunday morning, which I do not say as an um, insult. We all feel that. That's real. And I, I'm accepting saying it's okay, but I'm saying we exist for something bigger. Right? Uh, there's that quote that's all too common that goes something like this. The ships never crash in harbor, but ships weren't made for harbors. Right? We're going out of the harbor. And so we're going to Godfrey Lee this year, but I'm telling you, this has been an interesting year. The last... Four months, I would say, Dave, Dave would, would agree, has been very interesting for us in some of the long-term, the, the years and years and years of working at some of the connections and things we've done are starting to, to show fruit. <coughs> and so we don't want to be just in God freely in Godwin Heights. We want to be in, in, in Kellogg'sville. We want to be in, in, in Kentwood. We want to be amongst Sierra Leone, the population of Sierra Leone people, people from West Africa. They need Jesus. We want to be there. We want to be amongst the, amongst, uh, we want to grow amongst the, the Hispanic community. We want to grow amongst all the people so that the neighborhoods of the earth might know that Jesus is Lord. We want to grow. And so we're not stopping there. There's, there's going to be what you will hopefully see, hopefully see is a rapid multiplication of multiplication. We're going to two, and that took us a while, but we're going to go to four way quicker than we went to two. That's, that's what we're about.
I think that God has for us a year like we've never known in Crossroads. In fact, I'm sure of it. I don't have any idea what that means. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, and Abraham went not knowing where he was going. I love that verse. <laughs> Abraham went not knowing where he was going. Yes, that's, that's me. I want to be a goer. I'm going to go where God tells me to, even if I don't know exactly where that's going to end up. Listen, we're going to plant in Godfrey Lee. It may be a struggle. It might not blow up quickly. Here's the thing. In 15 years, when you look back, what will that look like? In 20 years, you look back, what does it look like, right? We did, I remember on Crosswind's 10-year celebration, we looked back at 10 years and we went, wow, Whoa! See, we're human and we're myopic and we don't have the, the patience of God. But God, because he's patient, gets to look from the whole of history and see. So who knows what it brings? This is what I know, is that we'll move into, into Godfrey Lee and maybe Godfrey Lee will blow up and it'll be 800 the day I launch. Perhaps people will get on airplanes to come and hear Dave preach. My suspicion, however, is that what will really happen is we'll move into an urban neighborhood and we'll begin to slug it out and we'll spend the next 15 years slugging it out in Godfrey Lee. But we won't just slug it on Godfrey Lee, we'll slug it out in Godwin Heights. And as we're doing that, we're not going to stop slugging it out because Burton Heights needs Jesus. And we're going to slug it out there. And the southeast side of Grand Rapids needs Jesus. So we're going to slug it out there. The Seedman Center up there in the middle of the city, I, I've seen... Uh, that neighborhood. They need Jesus up there. I was at Burton and uh, I was at, no, I was at Bemis and Baxter the other day. If you know Bemis and Baxter, it's one of the rougher neighborhoods uh, in, in, in Grand Rapids. I was bringing kids home who actually go to Godwin Heights. You know what? Bemis and Baxter need Jesus Christ. And if God calls us and he gives us people, we're going to establish a congregation there too. What I see is the rapid multiplication of congregations and they might not blow up. They might not be huge. They may never be a, be a mega church, but someday Someday, maybe 20 years from now, if we're, if we're 100 congregations of 50 where people have come in, they've encountered Jesus, and people have been baptized, we are going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with all that we are. That is what God calls us to. So I, I don't want to, 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 to temper expectations at all. Go, what's it? That's, that's not my point. My point is this, is that if we are faithful to the call of Jesus Christ, whatever happens will be a success because we are faithful to the call of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be faithful in Godwin Heights, and we're going to be faithful in Godfrey Lee, and soon we'll be faithful in Burton Heights, and soon we'll be faithful in Collegeville, and soon we'll be faithful in Kentwood, and soon we'll be faithful all over until there's congregations where people can walk in and encounter people who know Jesus, who will love on them and walk slowly with them as often takes and disciple them through all the pain all the struggle, all the hurt, until our community knows Jesus. This is what I know. We're going to slug it out. We are going to slug it out. So we're going to, to Godfrey Lee. I could not be more excited. Um, most of you know me, I'm just on an just on honest note. Most of you know me, I, I, I struggle sometimes with, um, with bouts of... I wouldn't say hardcore depression, but I go, I go through, through swings where I'm in depressions and, I, it's, yeah, and I can't figure out, I can't see quite through and I don't quite have, have the vision. I don't know what's going on and I get, I get fear and anxiety and struggle. In my heart. I've struggled with that um, since I was young. And just as a parenthesis, I'm open about that because I want you to hear that that's okay. Right? But in this specific case, I, I've been in a little bit of that, I would call it a funk a little bit of that funk. And then yesterday I was having a conversation via text about, um, about a basketball ministry that connects to about six different places and then back to Crosswinds that allows us to minister to a group of young men that allows us to minister to their fathers, to all of this. And so I was having this conversation and I was starting to sort of see the strategy of how all that would come together and how this ministry would allow us to reach people for Jesus and how it might expand and allow us to plant churches elsewhere and also to communicate the gospel to people here. And as I was doing that, I started to get like sort of this, this, this excitement. And after that conversation ended, um, I texted Dave Black. So I said, I think God just healed me kind of the depression that I'm going through. And I just feel ready, ready to go forward for the cause of Jesus. I just feel ready. I think I actually said, and you'll forgive me because this is not entirely, uh, it's not the most pastoral thing I've ever said. But I said, 
I think I'm ready to punch the devil in the face. You know, like as a vocation. That's what I want to do. That's who I want to be, right? So I don't know if that's the most theologically correct thing I've ever said. But God said, listen, I'm about to do great things. <laughs> and you're about to be along for the ride. And I want nothing more to buckle up and be along for the ride for the great things that the Lord Jesus Christ is about to do. So, Godwin Heights. A bunch of people about to vacate these seats. Right? So, I'm shorthanding Godwin Heights, right? Some of you live in, live in other places. And, and I just want to... I want to be clear, but I also hear my wife going, why did you go so long? I was back there with the kids. Uh, so, <laughs> I just want to be clear about this. Listen, God uses where you live and where you move and all of those things. He uses that for the cause of his kingdom. Because where you live... People need Jesus too. And so when we use God, we're using it shorthand, and we're using it to refer to that if the building is in this place, we need to minister into the, in this place. We're using it to refer to a specific call. We do feel called to the people of God and Heights, but that does not minimize the fact that we feel called to reach your neighbors too. And if your neighbors start to come to know Jesus and you get a, bond, a group of neighbors around you, we want to plant a church in your neighborhood too. And you might just be on the front line of the next church plant. So don't hear that, hear that wrong. But Godwin Heights, meaning shorthand in this sense, those of you who are not going with the lead plant, there's going to be a lot of, lot of empty seats. I don't say empty. Let's just say open. It's not empty sounds bad. Open. Seats just opened up, right? At like a sold out show. Everyone gets excited. Guess what? Seats just opened up. Tell your friends right? Time to get to business, right? See, sometimes I think as a Goblin Heights congregation established, been around for a while, we can coast and go, well, we're planting Lee, doing that. That's our mission. No, Goblin Heights is your mission because a lot of you live here and wherever you live is your mission. But if you physically come here, this, this is your mission. So we, it, it's about to, be our, about to be our time too. And so let us never go, well, <laughs> we launch communities and they sort of stagnate and then we launch others. And we, no, we need to reach people in Godwin Heights for the cause and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you can't do that for the love of the people of Godwin Heights, do it for this reason. Jesus is Lord and he deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the people of the earth should be worshiping him, including the people of Godwin Heights or Granville or wherever you live. People need Jesus. Godfrey Lee, you're going. Now, a lot of you, remember, we jumped out for a minute. We're out for a while, and then some reasons we had to come back. I want to encourage you to be a good cheer. I want to encourage you to be excited, and I want to encourage you to step outside yourself. Planting a church is a difficult activity, and it calls for stepping outside yourself. You'll remember that there were times when we were doing things, we were doing outreaches in, in parks and various places where, where there were large groups of people from Crosswinds talking to one another, and there were one or two people talking to the people outside. You know each other. Uh, you'll see each other. You spend time together. May you go outside your comfort zone for the kingdom and cause of Jesus Christ. You need to talk to others. You need to pursue others. You need to love on others. You need to do everything it takes to do what God has called us to do. And Lee, you are a frontline ministry now. You're being sent. Um, you're being sent as, 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 as special forces. You're being sent as, as operatives. No one gets... Get, you don't... Uh, when, when you go into a large battle and they send, they spend, send crack operational teams, they don't send along any people who are just like, oh, I'm just here to make the group look full. There's no people just there to look. You, you are ministers for the cause of Jesus Christ now, right? So, so Dave's the lead planter over there. I'm, I'm the lead pastor of, of, of Crosswinds, but you are the church planters, especially those of you who live in God freely. You have neighbors. I want to ask you this. If not so that you could share the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory with them, why in the world did you think God gave you neighbors? And a lot of you work in God freely, so let me ask you this. If not for the cause and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he might be known, why in the world do you think God gave you a job? You are breathing breath that is borrowed from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask again, why in the world do you think God gave you breath if not to do Declare the glory of the Lord. Now is the time. I am calling you to that. 
as your pastor, your friend, your leader, your co-conspirator, your co-worker, all of that together, we are going into battle. I know it's not popular in this militant uh, in this age to use terms of militancy, but I, I, I apologize for that. I know no other. We are walking into battle, right? So, as they say, batten down the hatches. Check your weapons. Do all the stuff you've got to do to get ready, because here we go. We're going to God freely. So that the name of Jesus Christ might be declared all over Godfrey Lee. It's funny that we're in Godwin Heights and Godfrey Lee and people go, are those Christian schools or Christian? No, 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 not yet. Not yet, right? I'm like a Baptist dude, kind of, with uh, extremely reformed leanings, right? So... I'm not typically or traditionally very charismatic. Like, I had this vision. When I say I had a vision, I mean we put in some work and did strategy. I don't mean that like I was sitting in my chair and the Lord appeared to me as he did John on the Isle of Patmos. But let me declare for you this. I believe that God has called you for such a time in such a place in such a task because God is concerned that the glory of his son be known. And he chose you not ignorantly, not by mistake. You didn't just slip by, but you were chosen for just such a time as this. And I believe that God is going to do great things in Godfrey Lee. And I believe that he is going to do great things in Godwin Heights. And I believe that this is going to be the year where we look back and go, oh my goodness. When I planted, when I was going through assessment to plant a church, a guy named J.D. Perry was one of the assessors. Assessment's kind of a good cop, bad cop situation, the group I was assessed with. J.D. Perry's definitely the bad cop. And he sets me down and he says this to me. He says, you're going to a hard neighborhood. You willing to be there for a long time? He said, it may take you 10, 15 years to see fruit. I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I didn't, I didn't believe him at the time, but he's totally right, right? Because I know this. I've been at it long enough. I know that, that years one through five were not near as effective as years five through 10. And I know that since we hit 10, we have hit an effectiveness pitch like we, we never had. And so if you judge congregations just by looking to your right and looking left, you might not see it, but I don't. I don't typically uh, view things like that. In terms of, of, of Jesus being declared, in terms of people coming to know him, in terms of people being discipled, in terms of, uh, of things happening in communities and neighborhoods, man, he's right. But now, here we are in year 15 and 16. Goblin Heights, I believe now is the time, right? We've been around long enough and we're diving back in. And some of you are like, I don't live in either of those places. What about me? Here's the good news. I want to plant a church every place you live. You live someplace, tell your neighbor about Jesus and tell your neighbor to tell his neighbor about Jesus and disciple those people. I'll help you do it. I'll show you how to do it and we'll disciple them and we'll get together a group of five or six or seven and when we've got that, we'll start to establish a congregation there. I have a plan and a way to do that which will keep it under authority. We'll keep it with elders. and keep it doctrinally solid but we'll allow it to grow fast and multiply so that believing God for a church multiplication movement, Crosswinds exist to develop indigenous, urban, local congregations. Let's go. Pray with me.